You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. The authority that we have as a believer, and I'm gonna—I've—I've I've been challenged in my own thinking, and I'm—I'm I'm probably gonna challenge some of your all's thinking, but it's—it's it's good to be challenged. If you don't ever get uncomfortable, then you're not growing. I've just come to learn that, and I, Liz and I, it seemed like probably a few years ago we started to get a hold of the idea of growth, and we determined like we are gonna remain in a lifestyle of growth. And if you are going to remain in a lifestyle of growth, you're going to remain in a lifestyle of change and being uncomfortable. But if the Lord has more and better and greater, why would we ever want anything different than what he has? I mean, it's, it's common sense, but sometimes we, we hold on to things that don't really uh, make sense or aren't benefiting us. And so we have to be willing to just let those things go. And there's, you know, there's a balance to this. Because when God does show you something, you need to latch onto that thing like a, like a bulldog. Have you ever heard anyone talk about bulldog faith? I mean, you just believe that thing, you take it, and you run with it. But then sometimes when we're looking at things and it's not working as well as it should, then we need to be willing for the Lord to adjust our thinking in those areas. And so that's what I'm talking about, about being flexible with the Holy Ghost where he can teach us things, reveal things to us, and help us have what the Word promises. It says that, the elders, that by faith the elders obtain a good testimony. And we should imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherited the promises. And so, if we're seeing something that somebody else has, or you read something in the Word that they had that we're not operating in, we should put two and two together and say, Father, I'm, I think I'm missing a little something here. Help re- readjust and rearrange my thinking. A few years ago, I... I stumbled across the revelation in my time with the Lord, and it just became so clear to me. You know, the Bible says that part of the reason the Holy Spirit is given is to teach us all things, and this is Jesus speaking. To t- he said, I will send another, a, help, a helper, that he will teach you all things whatsoever I have taught you. And so the Holy Spirit is interested in teaching. So the question begs, why would one need to learn? I mean, because the Holy, the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't send the Holy Spirit because, you know, he said, I'll teach you, but we really didn't need to learn anything. He just, the Holy Spirit didn't have anything better to do. And so he just came and like, well, I'll be your teacher. And if you want to listen, fine, but you probably don't need it, right? No, it wasn't that. It was because here's the reason why someone would need to learn, either because of ignorance or because of wrong teaching. And so a lot of what I've found the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, I know for me, is undoing things that I used to think so that he can put in there the things that need to be there. And every, every person in this world has been trained. Every person's been trained by something, either the way they were, they were raised. Well, everybody's had impact from the way they were raised and just, you know, where they've been, different churches they've been in, different circles, whatever. But behind all of those things, all of those, quote, understandings or revelations or just just things that people grab a hold of. I know this is pretty cut and dry and I don't maybe I can't make a blanket statement like this, but I'm pretty much going to anyways. 
It's either the Holy Ghost that has influenced what has influenced you, or it's the enemy that has influenced what has influenced you. And so if our thinking isn't straight, then we have to allow the Lord to come in and rearrange the things that need to be rearranged. And that's what it looks like to live in a, in a pattern of growth. And I've had so many things in my, in my soulish realm, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, and your conscience. I've had so many things in there that I, that I thought, that I felt, that I believed uh, were right and come to find out they weren't quite right. And so I needed the Holy Spirit to teach me and help me in those things. So how many of y'all want to continue learning and allow the Holy Ghost to do a work? Amen. So I, I, one of the things I'm most passionate about, and I really, I could, I could minister this every time I, I minister, which is just on the gospel. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. There's not anything more powerful or potent than the revelation and it's not just the gospel, but it's the revelation of the gospel. Because you can have something preached and not know what it means, not have a knowing, a quickening from the Lord. And this is why, I mean, I've been in places and seen things where people have been sitting and they, they heard something for many years and then all of a sudden the light bulb came on and it was like, oh, well, it didn't benefit them until the revelation came. And this is why Paul, and we're going to read here in Galatians, just these couple of verses that he talks about that the gospel came to him, but then in Ephesians, and we can also see in Colossians that he prayed, and he said, I pray the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you would, in short, know everything that the Lord has given to you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's not a matter of God giving, but it really is a matter of seeing what he's given and having our eyes uh, peeled back, having the layers peeled back and being able to see clearly what it is that God has given to us through Christ Jesus. And so let's read these couple of verses here real quick, and then we're going to get into talking about, and I'm, I'm making full circle, I'm coming full circle here to talk about the authority that we have as a believer, but our authority, and I, I've really just even, honestly, this year, last year and this year have come into better understanding of this, because nobody has a full revelation about anything. If anyone says they do, you can write Ichabod over that, which means the glory has departed. Nobody has a full revelation on anything, but I've come to an understanding that that our understanding of the gospel directly affects the, uh, the, affects the measure of authority that we operate in. Because, and I want to get ahead of myself here, but the gospel wasn't just about saving us from hell. It was about saving us from hellacious thinking here on this earth that causes us to be underneath of the schemes, the lies, the deceptions of the enemy and will leave us in a place not operating in our authority because of what he has said and what he has spoken and how he has trained our thinking. So it's not enough just to go, I have authority in Christ Jesus, no. And we start speaking and proclaiming and naming all, the, and all that stuff. And I believe in doing that. I believe in speaking the word, speaking the, the truth. I believe in doing all that. But if, if the underlying thing in the heart isn't set right, then there's not going to be any power there. There's not going to be any authority there when you go to address sickness, you go to address demonic things, whatever it is, there has to be that foundation there of the gospel. Otherwise, you're going to end up doing it out of the arm of the flesh. That's going to frustrate you, and the devil is going to kick your butt instead of you kicking his. So we have to come back to this place to where we see what God has really done through Jesus in terms of setting things right since the garden. And I'm going to get, I'm going to, get to that in just a moment. But let's read this verse here in Galatians chapter 1. In verse 11, we're going to do 11 and 12, it says, But I make known to you, brethren, 
that the gospel, everyone say the gospel, gospel. not another gospel. Say, okay, everybody say the gospel, gospel. not another gospel, gospel. the gospel. gospel. There's only one. Okay, so he says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was unique uh, in the sense, well, he's probably unique in a lot of ways, but he was unique definitely in one sense, and that was that he had a personal revelation from the resurrected Savior on you know, the road to Damascus experience. We talk about that. That was Jesus coming to him. And there's lots of things involved in that in the time period where Paul was away. And Jesus revealed the gospel to him. So my, and for our, you know, ward ministries, the, the vision God's given us for ward ministries is the gospel preached, hearts awakened, nations reformed. If you don't have the right tools, you can't do the work properly. And if you don't have the right tools, you won't build the right foundation. Therefore, your work won't be correct. And I, I believe with everything in me that what the world needs more than anything else, we can say the world needs Jesus, and that is true, but what the world needs is a revelation of what Jesus really did. Because every single person has fallen underneath of, on some level, has fallen underneath of the deception of the enemy. And we have found ourselves living out of the flesh and not living out of who we truly are in the spirit. And when we hear that word flesh, most of the time, we often go to sin. We think of sin. Well, sin is fleshly, but also striving in and of yourself is also fleshly. And I'm going to get to this in, in a little bit if I have time, where Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8, he basically, he lays out this, this great conundrum that he has, and he's, and he's a warring against what's in his, his natural man versus who he is in the spirit. And then finally he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. People that are earthly minded, they're fleshly minded, they're works minded, they're performance driven are underneath the influence of the devil and they don't even realize it. But for a believer who has been born again and has a revelation of the freedom that they have in Christ, the devil can't touch that person, can never touch it, can never touch them. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and Genesis means uh, origins, it means beginnings, it means the place where things started. So if you want to see how something became, you can go back to Genesis and nearly everything in the entire world, you can find how it began, why it began, whether it be good or bad, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, I want to talk about our authority, but I want to talk about our authority as it, as it relates to shame and condemnation. And normally, when I teach on authority, I'll just talk about the fact that we have been given authority, and we have been given authority. We have authority in Christ Jesus. He said to his disciples, and we are his disciples, he said, I give you power and I give you authority over all demons, over all demonic spirits, to heal diseases, to raise the dead. We have authority to do all of that stuff. But if we don't understand 
what he was really saying when he said that, we're going we're gonna to continue living outside of the realm of our authority and miss being able, like what Liz was talking about as far as the kingdom, miss being able to implement the kingdom in our life. Because everything in the kingdom of God, if you think about heaven, and Jesus told his disciples to pray, heaven here on earth, our king, your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you think about what's going on in heaven or what's not going on in heaven, it is drastically different from what is and what is not going on here on the earth. And I really believe the realm of our authority is, is I mean, not, it's not just that I believe, the realm of our authority is so much larger than what we have than what we've really come into, than what we really have an understanding of. We need to broaden our understanding of the authority that we really, truly have in Christ. And I believe, and I know, it's beyond believing, I know and my knower, because I experienced it in my own life, we will have greater manifestation here on this earth of what heaven has to offer. So a misconception that people have is that God is in, in control of everything. And this is, this is so deep and wide to even say that because you always have somebody in the room that says, God is in control of everything. Well, here's how I put it. He's in charge, but he's left us in control. That's how I say it. And you, you might say it the opposite. But l- let me just be able to, to point it out here that There are things that he's placed within his authority. He told his disciples that because they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? And they didn't understand that there was this whole church age that was getting ready to happen. They thought they were going from being in in captivity to all of a sudden King Jesus was going to come and free everything, but that's actually coming in the millennial reign of Christ. But anyway, so they were saying, are you right now? Are you going to restore the, the kingdom back to Israel? And he said, it is, and this is so telling. He said, it is not for you to know the times and seasons which the father has placed within his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, he was saying, there's certain things that I'm in charge of, but there are certain things that you are in charge of. And it does us really, really well to know what things we're in charge of and what things we are not in charge of. I got news for you. You are not going to determine when the tribulation starts. (laughs) Uh, You could get some understanding about it. You could have some revelation concerning it. But there ain't anything that you're going to do to determine when that happens. That is set on God's timetable, and he is going to determine when that happens. Can I get an amen from everybody? But you know that you have neighbors you, that are maybe sick or they're demonized or they're just lost. They don't know the Lord. Do you know that them coming to the Lord, being saved, being delivered is not on God's timetable? It's on yours. That's kind of, that's, I was hoping for more of an amen so I could just move on. But that's kind of a, a bomb there. It's heavy revy, what we call it. But it's, it's true that we are the ones that have authority in those areas. And I know people all the time, when they don't see something happen, they'll go, oh, it's, it's just in God's timing. Well, some things are in God's timing, but some things are in our timing. You know, they'll, they'll be praying for a, a lost person. And, you know, there's sometimes, you know, a family member or something, and sometimes there's only so much you can do. If they're not ready to receive, they're not ready to receive. But the day of sal- today is the day of salvation. <laughs> 
Not tomorrow, not in five years, and not through seven years of living in hell. And the Lord goes, okay, now I'm ready for him to be saved. No, he wants him to be saved now and enjoy all the benefits. Amen. So there's certain things that are within our authority. We have to realize that it's extremely important. So you know that, that our U.S. government, the way it was established was really set from, uh, from biblical precedent. There's precedent in the Bible that helped our founding fathers establish our country like it is. And we have three branches of government. And so they're supposed to be separate but equal powers. They're not, but anyways, they're supposed to be. We've got, anyways, okay, that's, that's the ideal behind the thing, amen? But here, you have to know this. I really, really work hard not to be quite so, because I aggravate people. But anyways, actually, just, I just aggravate the devil is what I do. And I can't help it if people are in the way sometimes. <clears throat> okay, thank you, Ken. Right? Kill that rabbit, rabbit trail. I didn't need to go down for sure. So the, the government was set up to where it has three branches in it. There's the legislative branch, right? Would you come and write for me, Vanna? I always think of the Weird Al song. Stuck in a closet with Vanna White. I don't even know what he did that off of, but anyways, I heard that when I, when I was a kid. And it stuck with me. Okay, anyways, you are far more beautiful than Vanna White would ever think of me. So would you write at the top, legislative, executive, and judicial? Um, I can spell them for you, but then that would defeat the purpose of, of you writing. All our, the real purpose is so you can read it. That's the, that's the main goal here. So uh, legislative executive and judicial. As she's writing that, let me just explain this very quickly. And I have a point to all this. I'm not trying to give you a, a U.S. government class here, although you could learn a little bit. It might help. But the legislative branch makes laws. Everybody understand that? That is the legislative branch in our government is what we call Congress, and it's made up of the Senate and the House of Representatives. And so there's that on the federal level. They meet in Washington, D.C., and then every state has the same thing set up. So where when state laws come through, they first get introduced in the House, and then once it passes the House, it gets sent to the Senate. And when the Senate passes it, then the governor signs it, and it becomes a law. The same thing happens nationally. The House and the Senate, the president signs it, and then and it comes into law. So the legislative branch, it makes the laws. So if you could put just underneath of that, just put an arrow down and put makes the laws. And then the executive branch enforces the laws or executes the laws, right? And so this is like the president and his cabinet or whatever, they're in the executive uh, branch, you know, a governor is in the executive branch. I think you'd put police officers and stuff in the executive branch. They're executing the laws. That's correct. And so then you have the judicial, which the judicial, they watch over the laws and they interpret the laws. And so in other words, someone can't, if there's a discrepancy between the legislative and the executive, it goes to the judicial and their final word is what determines whether that law is being applied, whether it's being executed properly or not, all right? Does this make sense? See, why are you talking about all this? Because this is basically, not exactly, but it's basically how the world works. Not just the kingdom of God, but it's how the world, it's how the earth works. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, 
He made them. It says in, as a matter of fact, I think we're in Genesis 3, but we didn't read there. We probably won't get to it today. Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, what's interesting is that whenever things happen, people just automatically go, good or bad, whatever. They go, well, God is sovereign. Well, if, okay, I don't doubt that God is sovereign. I doubt the, uh, the way people interpret that word has, has been, I think, largely abused. But if that's true, and it is true that God is sovereign, and he's made us in, our, in, our, in his image, don't we have a realm of sovereignty? Wouldn't really be made in the likeness and the image of God if we didn't. That'll make your head go tilt. But it needs to, because we need to stop blaming anything else on the things that we have authority over if we're going to see change. This is one of the, this is one of the most fu- fundamental things. And originally I was talking about healing, and this will tie into healing, but it's healing, casting out demons, all kinds of things. If we are going to see change, we need to realize where the authority currently lies. So who, here's, here's a rule of a rule of the universe. I think I could say it like that. Whoever makes the law is in charge of the law, unless it's been divided out like that. So when the earth was created, who was in charge of the earth? It's not a trick question. Who was in charge of the earth when it was created? God was in charge of the earth. When God created all of the trees and, and the water and everything that he, he put in it, who was in charge of all that? God was. Why? Because he created it. When God created man... Who was in charge of man? God was. But in verse 26 of Genesis is where it all changed. And it says, let me read it again. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know what God did? He divided his powers. Right here, he divided his powers. He divided the realm of authority. And this just smacks right in the face of religion. And I've realized the reason why religion, which is Satan's plan for the church, the reason why it has fought so hard against this is because it's left man completely, and I mean mankind completely not in charge of what God has put them in charge of. And this is why the earth is in disarray. Because man didn't know the realm of authority after the, the garden. And I'm going to get into why they lost it. It's just not going to happen today. Why they lost. They actually didn't lose the authority, but why they, why they stepped out of their place of authority. I'll get into that. But they did. And Jesus restored it. But if we don't understand what Jesus restored, how he restored it, what he fully restored, we will not operate in it. We will not function in it properly. And so understand this, that God, he is at the beginning of the earth, or he was all of these things. Those are, real, those are co- actually common sense things when you think about any kind of law. It's common sense. It has to be made, it has to be executed, and it has to be watched over to make sure that it's interpreted right. This is probably here largely because we're in a fallen world. I think before the world was fallen, you could have just had a legislative and executive. God made something, and then, then he executed it. But certainly, these two things in the kingdom are extremely important. And in verse 26 of Genesis is where we saw God split his power, and he said, 
said, now I've given you, man, I've given you authority over all of the earth. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And I'm trying to decide if I should go or not. Do you guys want 15 more minutes or you just want me to stop? Like, who's going to say, stop, we're done for today? Totally set you up. I'm going to give you 10 more minutes, okay? Are you with me? Are you hanging in with me? Okay. This is good stuff. This is really helpful. So this is where, this is where everything changed. And human beings have, and Christians have, by and large, really not understood this. And I remember one day I was just praying, and the Lord just laid this out so simply. And I, th- I think it was Nathan, I think years ago, I was mentioning this, or a couple years ago, three years ago. And he's like, when you said that, all of a sudden it started to make more sense to me. Am I correct? Yeah. And so, and I had actually texted him last night. I said, I can't remember part of what I said here. Can you remember how I, how I set this up? Because I couldn't remember what, what I had said about the judicial, but the way I see what the judicial is in today's terms probably is the Holy Spirit because God has set laws up. He's given us the power to execute those laws and the Holy Spirit will watch over us and those laws to make sure that we're doing it properly. Amen. So that's kind of how I see that. But you need to understand that God gave authority to mankind, not just to church, but to mankind, not just to the church, but to mankind. It was given to human beings. But the reason that humans didn't walk in their authority properly because, is because of what Satan did to them in the garden. It stripped them of their conscious authority in the earth. Now, I'm going to say this, and it's, it might rock some of you, because I've actually probably said it not the most correct for years. So I'm just going to say it, and then I'm going to explain it the best I can. <clears throat> But I don't believe, I used to say that, that Adam and Eve lost their authority in the garden, and in a sense they did, or that Satan took their authority, and in a sense he did. But then Jesus gave it back to them, to man, and in a sense he did. But I think what we've, and I even heard it said one time that an, an Old Testament man did not have authority over Satan, over the devil. And you know what, I, I don't believe that. I think an Old Testament man was not born again and didn't have the confidence that a New Testament man can have in Christ Jesus. Therefore, they often did not operate in the authority that was given to man. Because if Satan was ultimately in charge, if they totally stripped Adam and Eve, if he totally stripped Adam and Eve of their authority, then why didn't they just fall down and worship him? That's what he wanted because he said in Isaiah chapter 14, I think it is, he said, I will, I will ascend and be like the most high God. Satan wanted to be worshiped on the level that God would be worshiped. And there was all that was part of the great fall that took place and he got kicked out of heaven and all of, all of that. And so if he was totally in charge, why didn't he say, all right, Adam and Eve, worship me right now? He didn't do that. If he was totally in charge, why didn't he stop prophets from prophesying? for however many thousands of years before Jesus came? Why didn't he stop the Red Sea from being parted? Why didn't he stop God from speaking to Abraham and and starting a covenant through Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed? So to say that all of the authority was stripped from man in the garden doesn't quite line up. It just doesn't quite make sense. But we can definitely see a difference that after the fall, their eyes were opened up and they lost something in the garden. They lost something. 
And every seed produces after its own kind. So every person that was produced after Adam and Eve in the natural, in the flesh, automatically was born into the same predicament that they were born into. And I want to show you this here from the word. This is, this is I believe, is going to blow your mind. And I'm into mind-blowing kind of preaching, amen? Let's read a few verses here together. Genesis chapter Three. And if you will, just write across there so they can, they can remember. This is authority slash write it bigger so they can really see it. I probably won't have. Actually, just write this, and then I won't have you write anymore. Write authority slash shame slash condemnation. Authority slash shame slash, make sure you get those slashes in there, condemnation. And then, Vanna, you may be seated after that, because all their attention is on you and not on me. It was our anniversary yesterday, by the way, for everybody that missed, so. And yes, I was looking for an applause, so thank you for doing it. It's actually an applause for her putting up with me is the, the reality of it. Well, that backfired. <laughs> if I would said it the other way around, I would have got a boo. Yes, thank you, woman of God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. And I want to read a few verses here because I want you to see this. And I've read this from this pulpit many times. But man, this is so powerful. Remember, Genesis is origins. This is where things started. We can see that authority, if you go back two chapters, and I just read it in verse 26, that that's where authority was given to man, dominion. Dominion means authority. Most of your Bibles say dominion. It means authority. It means the realm of authority that they had. It's just like in your home. You have dominion in your home. That's your realm of authority. In the earth, God's given dominion to man. But look here in verse 6. So this is when uh, Eve and Satan were arguing, the, the serpent, they were arguing. And it says in verse 6, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What you see here is when their eyes were open, that was shame. They knew that they were naked, that was shame. And then them sewing fig leaves together to cover themselves was self-effort. I'm telling you, if you can get a hold of what I'm telling you right now, this, this will totally, radically, completely revolutionize your entire life. It's that powerful of a revelation. Shame and self-effort at this point entered into the world. And we're going to see here that, and we've always been taught this. And it is true, but it's, it's, it's correct, it's just not complete. That sin is what separates us from God. Honestly, it's not really the sin that separates us from God it's the heavy conscience from the sin that separates us from God. Oh, my gosh. This is where some people go, are you saying sin's not a problem? No, sin is a huge problem. It's huge. It's a huge problem. It's actually not because God's greater, but, I mean, it is a real problem. It's a problem in the world. It's a problem in the church. I'm not undermining sin. But what I am saying is that sin is not what causes God to look at us and say, I'm not going to be with you. What happened is they sinned, their eyes were open, and they said, God, I'm not going to be with you. Look at this here. 
It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Imagine this. Your creator made you. You did the one. They had one job. One job. See that tree there? It looks good, but do not eat of it. Okay, Lord. And all these other trees. If they, we wouldn't even, have, you wouldn't even need the church if they had just, the church is here because the world's falling and we got to reach people, you know? I mean, but anyways, so it happened. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Imagine what they were thinking. Oh, here he comes. In the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. And that's important because trees represent uh, man, what man can do all through the Bible. Trees and wood represent that. Notice it doesn't say that they hid themselves because the Lord had said that if you ever do anything wrong, I will kill you and I won't have anything to do with you and I will punish you. It doesn't say that. You know why? Because God never said that. He never said that. He did say that the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And what is death? Death is separation from. God knew because he's God. He knew that if they partook of it, their consciousness of sin would become so overwhelming that instead of running to God out of grace, they would run away from him because now they're aware of their performance. Instantly, they were aware of their performance. And so in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? God knew. He was just wanting Adam to answer, I guess. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Honestly, as funny as that is, it's one of the greatest questions that was ever asked in the Bible. Who told you not just that you were naked, it goes deeper than that. Who told you that you were supposed to be in shame? Who told you that you were supposed to be in shame? Because see, when I read in Romans chapter 5, it talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. And the first Adam, through the, because of the one man's sin, threw the entire world into a fallen state. And we've heard this for years, and it's like, this is, we have to undo this. We've heard this for years. you got to quit sinning and quit sinning and live right. And I, I believe that's correct. I don't think that's a wrong message, but it's a wrong emphasis. What we need is to realize what Jesus did and then undo the shameful, sin-conscious mindset so we'll go to God instead of running away from God. This is where, this is where the, the devil, this is where Satan tripped them up, tripped mankind up from the very beginning, and he's been tripping people up from that day until this day. Oh, there's, oh, there's so much I want to say right now. I just don't have time. Jesus, help me. And he said, who told you you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I command, commanded that you should not eat? And see, God already knew the answer. He already knew the answer, but I believe he gave them an opportunity to set things right but it just proved how fallen immediately their state was consciously. Now, they did disobey God. They did sin. I believe spiritually they died that day. I, I firmly believe that. But they didn't just die in terms of their spirit to where eventually people would have to be born again. But they died in terms of their conscience. Their conscience was not alive to God. It became dead. It became withheld. It became drawn back. It became, they became separated because of how they saw themselves not how God saw them. 
And he said, did you eat of the tree uh, which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, notice this. He says, the woman whom whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You know what, you know what, and we laugh about this, and it is, it is kind of funny, you know. But you know why he blamed her? Because it was her fault. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> why he blamed her? Listen, this is, this is so good. Shame. If you are in shame, you can never admit fault. And if you can't admit fault for something, you'll never be able to deal with the thing. Oh, my gosh. Shame. If you're in shame, you can't admit fault. Because the shame is not, I guess you could admit that you are wrong. But if you're really in shame, you'll, you'll not do the necessary work to deal with the problem and to cut it off at the head to where it doesn't rise back up anymore. Cut it off at the roots, I should say. Shame will keep you from acknowledging wrong. I noticed something in our family line, very strong. And I said this recently to somebody in my family. I said, we have something in our family to where we always, we, we tend to, and I've come out, I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect, but I've come out of this. I've come out of this thinking I don't do this anymore. But it was always like when something was done wrong, uh, a mistake, and even like in, in, in business and things like that, there's this automatic thing of like, that wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. That, that wasn't me. That was because of this, this, this. And we understand this. We'll make excuses for things instead of saying, I screwed that up. Why? It's because of shame. There's shame at the root that causes us to want to put off so the attention will be turned and be off of us because we can't handle that kind of pressure coming on us as humans. And you know what? We were never meant to. This is why Jesus carried, he carried our shame, and he carried our condemnation. Shame is the feeling of guilt. Condemnation is the judgment against you because of what you did wrong. But see, it's not, with human beings, it's not about all the things that we do wrong or necessarily even our past that vexes us. It's the fact that we are human beings and we are not aware enough of who we are in Christ And we're more aware of who we are in the natural, and the enemy beats us over the head with every fleshly, natural thing that he possibly can, which leaves us underneath of him instead of on top of him. He stripped their consciousness of just being with God and not being worried about anything. He stripped that away, gave them a sin, a guilty conscience, to where now instead of standing up and being who they were designed to be, Now they've been underneath, and man has been underneath of the thumb of the devil for all of these years. And when Jesus came to give his power and authority over all of the works of the enemy, it wasn't just sickness and disease and and demonization. It was the very root of all of it, which was shame and separation from God because we couldn't handle our wrongness to get next to his rightness. Jesus said, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Now I make you right. Now you are made right. And the Bible tells us in, in Colossians chapter 2, let me finish with this. Oh, this is so good. Let me finish with this verse. Is this not like unbelievably amazing? 
Look here in Colossians chapter 2. I wasn't going to go here. So the guys, Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to go to verse 11 and we'll read a few verses here. So you can see this in context. But I was going to say in Romans chapter 5, it talks about the two Adams, the first Adam and the last Adam. What one man did to bring the whole world into the state that it's in. And you say, oh, all the sin and the degradation and the iniquity. Yeah, that's part of it. But why is it there? It's there because of how people view themselves. It's there because of the way that humanity looks at themselves. Because, and I'm so all over the place, but I have so much that I'm trying to say, and there's just never enough time to say it all. And going back and looking at Genesis chapter 3, Eve did the exact same thing. It says, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And what did she say? She said, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. She couldn't just say, I was wrong. She said, the serpent deceived me. It was his fault. It's always this thing of, of blaming. But when Jesus came in, he said, it doesn't matter whose fault it is anymore. It actually was Adam's fault that you were born into sin. You know that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we, if you're born again, you're not a sinner anymore. But we sin because we were sinners. Sin comes naturally to people that are born with a nature to sin. You don't become a sinner the first time you do something wrong. You were born that way. You couldn't help it. Now you can help it and give your life to Christ and he'll make everything new, amen? But you were born that way. But you know that the first Adam put the whole world into that, but the last Adam, Jesus, totally changed everything. And it says that through him, many will be made righteous. Which ones are gonna be made righteous? The ones that say, Jesus, you are enough. I put my trust in you and now I receive you. Those are the ones that are made righteous. And do you know if, if works Oh, my God. If works could not undo what the first Adam did. You understand? You could not work your way out of that condition. It could only come through faith. If works couldn't get you out of that fallen state, works can't get you out of the righteous state. Good, bad, or indifferent. Talk about blessed assurance. Woo! I got a hold of that. I never, all the, all the stuff about are you once saved, always saved, you know, is it, you know, you got to get born again, again. Like I, I quit even thinking that way. It's like, I'm right with God. I mean, I'm just right with God. If I have to give you an answer, I, I will, but it's going to be just go get a revelation of righteousness. And that won't even become an important question anymore. He's like, I'm right with God. God made me right with him. <laughs> Your wrong stuff can't undo his right stuff. <laughs> Amen. You should stand up and shout and get the whole room shouting. That's the most powerful revelation you could ever have. Because we live with an awareness of how wrong we are. Here's some proof. You ever, someone ever shows you a picture, you know, you go somewhere and, and, and they show you a picture of the whole group or, you know, hey, I found this old family photo or whatever. Who's the first person you look at in the picture? Yourself, every one of us, every time. Why? Because we are so aware of our fleshness, of our humanness. And most of the time, it's not to be like, well, let's see that ginger stud muffin. I mean, or that beautiful lady. We sit and we look at the wrinkles. We look at the bulges. We look at the zits. We look at where we're just, do we have a double chin or do we have the camera right? You know, that's cool. All the selfie takers you get, you know what I'm saying? 
we're so, we're so aware of that. All, all of the, and I'm not against selfies or pictures or anything like that, but all of, all of the mirrors, people look in the mirror. I noticed this about my own self. We look in the mirror so much throughout the day. Now, I'm, I'm glad you fix your face and you get the boogers out and whatever else. That's fine. But do you know that we look in the mirror as human beings so much? And it's not to remind ourselves of how awesome we are in Christ, but it's to look at every single imperfection that's there so we can try to fix it. It is very true. So come on, who can relate to that? Be honest, who can relate to that? And those you didn't raise your hands are not being honest. No, I'm just kidding. But we can all relate to that. We are, we are so conscious of our humanness. And the reason Jesus came is to lift that off of us so we could just be who God called us to be in Christ. It doesn't matter if we're short, we're tall, we're fat, we're skinny, we're old, we're young, we're black, we're white, we're smart, we're dumb. It doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and you have every right to know your sonship and walk fully confident of how God has made you. Hallelujah. Okay, right here, done. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says in him, do we have this pulled up here, 11 through uh, 18-ish or so? I'm going for it. Colossians 2 and 11. It says in, who, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And, you gotta, and I didn't even get to, oh, there's so much I want to say. It's amazing. This is awesome revelation. This is, so, this is so freeing. It's so freeing. So for the person that thinks they're all that, you can take the word of God and it will help you realize, like the law, it help you realize you ain't all that. You need Jesus. But for the rest of the world, most people that think very low of themselves, you can look and realize, yeah, we may not be all that, but in Christ, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I belong to him. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. And I tell you what, there's a strong anointing on me right now to say this. Hmm. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You know what was buried in, ba in baptism? Your ability to perform. It should be. When you got water baptized, it should have been, it should have been the performance is over. I'm done performing. Whether you're self-righteous or you thought little of yourself, performance is over. Now I'm raised with him. Death has to come before resurrection can be there. You can't have res There's nothing to resurrect if you don't have death. If we want a resurrection life, we have to first die first. Die to all of this stinking thinking. And in verse 13, it says, In being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven, forgiven you all trespasses. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, that thing. Oh, that's forgiven. That one. Oh, that's forgiven too. Yep, and that that was forgiven too. Thank you, Jesus, for that. How many of all had some trespasses? Verse fourteen. It says, "Now here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the correlation. Here's where it comes together. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us." And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What did he nail to the cross? What was done in the garden that said, it's, it's written in the dead 
human DNA. It's written in the DNA code that says you must perform. This is why you have Buddhist, Hindus, Confucius, Muslims, to name a few major world religions, and honestly, probably 95% of the, quote, church falls into this category of doing to be. And you can never do enough to be enough. If you're living in a mindset of doing, Satan will always come and tell you that you're not doing enough. But once you remove that cap and say, I know who I am in Christ, then all of a sudden Jesus' performance becomes enough for you and you don't have to perform anymore. And then all of a sudden you perform better, better accidentally than you ever could have on purpose. It's like, I'm not sinning as much as I used to. My mouth cleaned up. I'm not cussing every other five words or whatever your problem is. I don't even want to look at the rotten stuff that's out there to look at. I don't even want to drink alcohol anymore. You know why? Because you see yourself as being under the blood, being in Christ, having the cross paid for everything, and now you're with Jesus, and all that stuff you used to be, that's no longer you anymore. And your your identity shifts from the man you see or the woman you see in the physical mirror to what you know the word of God says about who you truly are in the spirit. So it says that he's taken it all out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All the performance mentality, all of it, all of it. He nailed all of it to, to the cross. And now listen to this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle, spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, one would think, and I used to read this and think, I wish it said that just so it would make it so plain that sickness was nailed and he overcame it. That, you know, we can name all of these things, that poverty was nailed and then he overcame it. He disarmed them. But honestly, once you realize who you are in Christ and you realize your stance with Christ and that God's not requiring anything from you, he required it. On Jesus, Jesus fulfilled all of the requirements so that we could stand in the righteousness as a free gift and we didn't have to work for it. (laughs) When you realize that, then all of a sudden, all of the, the disarmament that took place, it really did take place. But it doesn't work for people that don't understand this. But once you understand this and the enemy comes in and says, you know that thing, shut up. You and I both know that thing that I did but it's under the blood because I'm, I'm God's. I belong to him. And there's perversion. People can be like, well, I'm going to live how I want because I'm saved. You know what? You're an, you are not smart if you do that. Sin will open up the door to the devil, and I'm not going to get into all that at the moment. But man, the devil can't come and beat you up anymore because you belong to God, and Jesus took care of all of it. And all of the, the principalities and powers, he disarmed and made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. You know what he did? This is a picture of what would happen with Rome whenever they would conquer new territory. See, Satan conquered the conscience of human beings. Overall, he he conquered the conscience of human beings. So you know what Jesus did? He went back and through his blood and through the cross, he took back, if they will receive it and understand it, the conscience of every single man, woman, child, every single person. But what the Romans would do, and this is what he's talking about, about how he triumphed, over the, he triumphed over them in it, is that the Romans would go, and when they would take over a new territory, they would go in, and they would, when they would 
beat them. They would take the king, the leader of that region or whatever, and they would not just go and kill him, but they would go and they would cut off his big thumbs so we could not hold a sword. And they would go and they would cut off his big toes so we could never run in battle. They would tie him up. And they, this is, they literally did this. Rome literally did this. And they would parade them around so that everybody could see that that person that was once a threat is no longer a threat anymore. And what Jesus was saying, or what Paul was saying here about what Jesus did, is that the enemy has been defeated, he's been dethumbed, he's been detoed, he's been paraded around. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy that you're not enough because in Christ Jesus you are enough. God will not condemn you, He will not hold your sins against you. <laughs> and that, folks, is what you call the gospel. That is the gospel. Anybody that tells you that you have to do something to keep, to get to keep or to earn God's favor, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 1, should be accursed. No, as a matter of fact, he says, let them be doubly accursed. Because they're taking away from the finished work of the cross, which says that Jesus was more than enough. Because anybody that says you have to add something to is saying that what Jesus did was not enough. And nobody better ever say that about your Lord. What Jesus did was more than enough. So in context of the people he was talking to, so he says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of Christ. Listen, I'm, I am totally fine with people doing things like Jewish type things that help bring out what Christ has done. But don't go back and live underneath of something thinking you're going to get more out of Christ than what he gave. He gave everything there was to give. There's no new moon. There's no Sabbath. There's no tabernacle keeping. There's no shofar blowing. There's no dancing around in Jewish wedding stuff that's going to make you any more right with God than what you are right now because of what Jesus has done. Don't ever try to understand what Christ did through the Old Testament understand what he did through the New Testament, and then you can go back and look at the types and shadows prophetically to say, oh, it was all pointing to this person. Because if you go and try to find the Lord through the law and through all the keeping of all of these things, if you try and do that, you're going to find yourself underneath of those things saying, God, help me. God, please have mercy on me. The law was meant to, con to condemn, to make you realize that you can never measure up in and of yourself, and you only can put faith in him. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels and uh, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. Jesus, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Basic principle of the world, in the garden, you sinned, full of shame, self-effort to cover it up. That's a basic principle of the world that's come to every single human being. And he's saying, if Christ paid for all of that, and everything that was written against you about what you're not doing right, and everything you're doing wrong, Christ has obliterated all of that. He nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed any accusation coming from the accuser. Why would you go and put yourself underneath of any kind of system of works ever again? Why would you ever do that? There's no reason to ever do that again. 
Hallelujah. I'm done. I'm not. Oh my gosh, I've got Gidgad's more. You excited? Oh, next week is just going to be off the chain. I didn't even get to my next, my greatest point, but I'm out of time and I think you're full. Are you full? You're full. That's fine. You can say you're full. It's not a setup. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just stand with me? If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.